The children are um, released to go to Sunday school, nursery, preschool. I don't think there is an actual nursery this morning, but they could be in with the preschool group. And after that rousing song, I have to do it once again. The sun is risen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a joyous Easter Sunday morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Just wait till we quiet down a little bit. There's so much excitement. Probably some chocolate has been had already today, too. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot of uh, faces, like expressions, that you don't necessarily want to see when you're preaching. I'm not asking you to change your expression now. It's usually pretty good on Easter Sunday. Yeah, now people are practicing scowl, anger. It's like the it's like being on a bus, being being on a bus and listening to the sermon is the same thing. Sometimes those of you who look the most alert, I know the truth. Uh, but the, actually the face that's the worst, so you don't have to try this now, but for me at least, is when I can look out and I know someone's kind of with me, like they want the best, but they, they just feel sorry for you. You ever done that? You're making a presentation or something and there's somebody sitting and they're just like... <laughs> for some... Thank you, Lawrence. <laughs> You get a free flower, at least. The, uh, some of the expressions that you hate, the one that is really, really upsetting is if somebody, and you can do this to your neighbor here or whatever, uh, rolls their eyes at you. You ever had that? And I don't even just mean like with humor, but just you do something. That. 
And it's, never, it's like when somebody tells you to relax or calm down when you're upset, right? If I try, hey, just relax. <laughs> but we come to Easter Sunday, and I want to acknowledge this. We, we all acknowledge it in our thoughts. There is a huge as if over Easter. He is risen from the dead as if. And it's not just something that we would roll our eyes at. It's not that dismissive. But we're challenged with this in this world. It used to be easier for people to believe these things, right? We've never, I've never lived in a time like that where it was just automatically believed. And so now I have to be able to speak about my faith in different ways than if I was the minister at a church even 30 years ago but certainly 50 or 100 or 300. Christ is risen from the dead. Ought we to believe that? And this isn't just for people, some of you who've come to church to be nice to somebody else, which is great. I hope if you go to church on Christmas and Easter, you're not made to feel bad about that by ministers and others like, why aren't you here more? Uh, we're just glad you're here. But you can come to a place and you can go, how? Really? It's not just the people who barely go to church that would struggle at times. The world that we live in has impacted our own way of believing so that we simply can't take it for granted. The roll your eyes as if there's a wonderful word for that that you need to know. It's the word insouciant. It just is perfect because it sounds perfect. Insouciant means the person who walks down the street in New York and, you know, they've never been there before and there's all these huge towers, skyscrapers, and, you know, a friend is there with them. Look at this. Can you believe this? And they just go, oh, whatever. Which can become at times in our culture and other places, I would suppose, sold as kind of a virtue that I'm not going to be impressed with anything. Look what I can do. Fire can come from my hands, and I can glow when I can... Oh, whatever. As if is all around us. And we should acknowledge it on Easter Sunday. As if he would raise from the dead. There's small ways you can do this. I don't mean to equate the resurrection of our Lord with a golf tournament. But look for these small ways. As if Tiger Woods would win another major... As if Toronto... There are people here, one's wearing a Toronto jersey and another a Toronto hat. I don't know how they got in. Because they're still in, and one of them is my son, but anyway. As if Calgary would be gone already in Tampa Bay. See, Easter morning, nobody expected this. It's not like... They expected it then, and we don't expect this kind of thing. Now, nobody ever expected this. The garden, the beautiful garden, is full of this as if. There is no mental grid for this. They didn't understand it, and we don't understand it. There's this verse in the crucifixion narrative in Matthew... So Norma was reading for us the resurrection narrative from Matthew, chapter 28. In chapter 27, just a few verses earlier, the 57th verse, there is this uh, verse that some of you would struggle with. 
And it was when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And it says, as he died, that there was an earthquake and rocks split in two. And then there is this verse in verse 57 that says, and the saints in, from their tombs came out of their tombs and walked around and went to the city. And, you know, I guess had coffee or something with people. So if I put to you, and, you know, some, some people might get upset if I even ask this question. I put to you, do you believe that that happened? You don't have, don't, please don't nod. If you, you don't have to nod if you don't. Do you believe that the saints came out of their tombs and they walked around and they went to the city? Sure. Sure. Some yes loudly declared. It is just, there are people also here who would say, well, that's kind of why I don't really believe. Because that kind of thing doesn't actually happen. And then there are people who would say, well, I sure hope Todd says, yes! Let me tell you something. I have a hard time believing that. So what I do is I kind of leave that. And I go back to the as if. So where does my faith That little portion of Scripture, by the way, and this isn't just to help those who study the Bible and know it really well, those few verses, you can actually tell if you're reading it, if you read the text, all of a sudden it has a different cadence to it. It just sounds different. And there's a few portions of Scripture like this. Don't worry, we won't tell you all to, to you today what they all are. But that little portion is actually not in the earliest manuscripts of, the, of Scripture that they found. And so there's some debate and discussion over, well, it seemed to be that maybe people added this later. I don't know. I know how that would add to the story. Here's my faith in it. There's this chaos of death. For us, death is, is, a, is a chaos, an abyss. And some of you could tell me a lot more about this than I could tell you because you faced it or you sat beside a loved one who's died or you faced such darkness in your life or you're anticipating it now. Death is chaos. And that text, when our Lord, the one who is life himself, gave his life Everything was chaos. The whole earth shook. You know, my, well, my favorite resurrection narrative, kind of preach from it every year, even if it's not the text, it's from John chapter 20. It's when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And she's going to the garden, the tomb. And you have to remember, whatever you know about Mary Magdalene, the world was against people like her. She was not well-respected. I mean, first of all, just because she was a woman, which they had stronger negative connotations in culture in terms of gender than even we still hold some, but back then, much, much, much stronger. And she was sinful. And so she was outcast even more. But she loved Jesus. And he didn't judge her. All the other religious people did. Don't. But not him. 
And she went to the tomb that morning, John 20, carrying, I think, the chaos of death and judgment. There's some strength in people who have been oppressed or judged, people who carry on. This can be people who are looked down upon just because of the culture they're from or an ethnic group they're from. And you can see that at times they can, there can be such a strength in just carrying on. Stronger often than many other people. I see Mary Magdalene with that kind of strength as she goes there. There's a little bit of a, well, who cares what everybody thinks? It's darkness anyway. And she goes to pray. There's resurrection narratives that are slightly different in each of the Gospels. Going to anoint the body. And the chaos of death greets her there. As she gets there, she sees this tomb, comes to the realization that his body is not there. She's crying, and these angels appear, verse 11. The world now must be spinning for her. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? This is one of the dumbest questions ever. She has no mental grid to even answer. Someone, she assumes, has stolen his body. How could this possibly get any worse? They're scrambling after this, running back and forth, other followers coming to the tomb. It's a little later on in the scene, kind of separate now. She's back, still not understanding what's been going on. And this person in the garden begins to speak with her. Remember that? Now, not apparently an angel, but a person. But someone that she either doesn't look right at or doesn't know who this is, and she assumes that's the gardener who's, who's in the garden really early in the morning. And he asks the same questions that the angels asked. Woman, why are you weeping? And I think, I don't know, it's like people like that in Mary's situation that she could have said, why am I weeping? Would you like me to tell you about my life? And then one, two, three until she got to that morning. And now today I come here, and now this. Why am I weeping? But it's then that the gardener, who we know is Jesus Christ, raised, says her name. Mary. She grabs him. He has to tell her to let go. He's so... Um, there's nothing ta-da about Jesus' resurrection. If you were writing the story, there'd be way more. Because you'd make it so that it could convince other people, right? But even the account that was read for us, that Norma read for us, he appears to his disciples, and you're, you know, there's going to be some huge thing. And he says, Greetings. Mary, you've got to let go of me. But the rest of her life would never, ever, ever be the same because now she knew that life overcomes death. I don't know about the kind of walking dead, although they're fully resurrected, I suppose, in that Matthew text. But I know that it's small, 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 small compared to life defeating all death that there ever was. So my faith in it is to humbly trust.
if he speaks your name, if you hear it by the Holy Spirit, then you will come to life as well. This is not faith because somebody else wanted you to believe. Our churches are filled with that. This is faith because you've heard him speak your name. And I have. And now, I mean, we don't even have words for this, right? We use words like haunted, and they seem all negative. But now, it's like the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins said, Christ plays in 10,000 places. I think I know what he means. Said He was just this beautiful poet, such lofty language. I could never attain that kind of rhetoric and the images that he draws, but I I can share his faith because I've seen Christ in 10,000 places. Everywhere there's life. I've seen the presence of Christ as I've sat with families beside the deathbeds of people that they have so loved. And I've prayed as if as if, dear Jesus, you are here. And I know that he is. And it doesn't even, sometimes it's not the biggest deal to me whether those people believe or not. I would long that they would know the love of God in such a powerful way. But I know that he's there. This is the chaos of life. It's not quite chaos. It's just so abundant that we can't get our arms around it. Scenes and places you don't want to go. So some of you are a long way away from this and others closer and others maybe for the first time considering it. You know, those places you don't want to be. Some so desperately want to, don't want to be in places they used to call. I mean, now we've changed the words, right? They used to call old folks homes. Uh, that's such a, now it just seems so archaic, that term. What do you say now? Care center. Or the more, the closer to death it is, the sunnier word it has attached to it. So the place where we've got a bunch of old people, it is called, and this is not a joke, evergreen. It's because we want to deny it sometimes. There's so many cemeteries that are called something view. It's curious. We want to deny the truth of power of death. But if you ask yourself, if you pray, if you pray to Jesus Christ, in those places are you there, even there? Of course, the cross declares that he has been to the darkest of all places, so that those places, even some of the places we fear, are no longer places of darkness, but places of light. And if you seek the presence of Jesus Christ in those places, I give you a 100% guarantee that you will find the presence of Jesus Christ there. In sickness, you've prayed for friends. You've prayed for friends who are sick, battling cancer. And some you've prayed for have been healed, and you've said, look, God heals. But you've been praying for other friends at the same time, and they've died. It's a challenge, right, in our faith. We need to acknowledge these real challenges, because the world around us is asking these questions. It's not that we need answers, we need faith. 
But some of the questions are, do you people honestly believe that if you were to pray for someone who is sick, that God would choose to heal that person, but not someone who had not been prayed for? Well, that's not so much a commentary on prayer. It's maybe a commentary on God. We need to hold these things. How are you present, Lord Jesus Christ, even in those places of sickness and death? How are you present, Lord Jesus Christ, in broken relationships? Because some of you in this place are carrying desperate pain over broken relationships that might be, it might be recent, it might be long-term, might be decades. Or you might be fearing what's coming. And how could God be with you if this relationship fails? Sometimes, particularly in religious communities, where then you may fear the judgment of others. Let me tell you something. Even in your failure, even there, Jesus Christ is present. Death has been defeated. I was told when I was growing up, you've got to stay with me here, okay? Because don't worry, I'm not saying it's not this way. I was told when I was growing up that my sin separated me from God. Scripture talks about this in some ways, not so clearly as that sentence lays out. I was told that my sin separated me from God, but the truth is, in my faith, I realized that that's true without Jesus. But he's trampled over death by death. And since Jesus has gone to the darkest places, the deepest pit, that even in my sin, he knows me and loves me. And if people have tried to use your sin against you, he has not done that. He has loved you to the end. I am not, I'm not abandoned in my, even in my sinfulness. Because he if, is, if he is there, then what it means is that he lives. He lives and he has overcome. And that is my faith. And no one knows you. And whatever fear or darkness or pain or confusion you are carrying, some of those who love you know you fairly well. But I know the truth. I mean, I'm not saying I know the truth all about you. Don't worry. Don't have some special prophetic thing that I'm going to start saying your bad things. Not going to happen. Not today at least. Maybe next week. Don't come back. Just kidding. When I say I know the truth, I know that there are things that even those closest to you don't know. Sometimes the shadowy places of your heart, your fears. Hear this. He is with you. And if you hear him say your name by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is just to put your faith in him and realize that life overcomes death. If he's in the dark places, this is now, it's going to turn nice, you knew it, it's Easter. If he's in the dark places, then what of the light? This is why you can weep at the flight of a bird. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
I have, you can have scenes in your life that, that are stamped upon your imagination and your memory. For me, one of these scenes is riding my bike across the Lionsgate Bridge from Vancouver onto the North Shore, that side of the bridge, and a seagull came along and decided to just play with me. He was showing off, still upset at him. Such a show-off. Because I thought I was going relatively fast, even started to go down the long hill. And he's flying along and just showing me how much more magnificent that is than what I'm doing. But then I realized, I know this is an imaginative, imaginative thing, I realized it was also an invitation to realize that the whole earth is full of his glory. And I was in flight. If he's in the darkness, what of the light? I'll owe a couple of loonies or toonies to my family, and I won't disclose too much, don't worry. But some of you can relate to this, the love you feel for your family, for those whom you love. And I look at either of my boys who I love so much. And in faith, of course, you you sometimes never, don't always get to say the things that you feel, right? Right? And I love them so much, and my prayer always is, I want them, dear God, to know your love. But sometimes religious people have put on me that that should be a desperate prayer, an oh-no prayer. It's not that. It's peace. Oh, God, they would know your love. You are there, Lord Jesus. And now I owe a lot of money to my wife, Jennifer. Don't worry, I won't say too much. Jen doesn't even like talking about God. That's a confession. I, that's one of the things I really love about her. I mean, not too much. She's one of the least religious people I know. And honestly, I say, thanks be to God. I'm not that religious myself. But I've never known anyone more Christ-like. So what's the light in your life? If he's there in the darkness, how much more the light? The shouts of joy at a sporting event? You see, you start to seek his presence. I can watch some stupid hockey game or something and see fans going crazy, and I know they're fanatics. It's just hockey. Except I also know in the places of greatest joy, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ is present. I sometimes think that God is looking at us and just thinking. We don't even have to say his name a thousand times, right? Just our sheer enjoyment of something is declaration of his presence. And then the image of the resurrected Christ in Revelation chapter 1 stays with me and haunts me in that beautiful way. When John who knew Jesus Christ, saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, but in this vision, the kind of overall space and time, the word that can kind of freak people out for that is cosmic, right? Like Jesus Christ above all history and all time. And in Revelation chapter 1, he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and there was one like the Son of Man with a golden sash and hair, white like wool, like snow, and eyes like flames of fire, and feet like burnished bronze, and then my favorite part, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Life over death. 
So it's simply a question, not an accusation question, and not a you better darn well believe right now or else. But I ask you simply for you, what is before all things for you? What is underneath all things for you? In your life, what is it that holds together all things? Without being disrespectful, for many people in our culture, the answer would be, well, nothing. Nothing. I respect that in a way, because if you think that it all started from nothing, to see the beauty of nature is astounding. For me, this is faith. The love and victory of Jesus Christ is what is before and underneath all things. And Mary encountered that in the garden that morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. A favorite image of mine is from the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophets. It's got the temple of God, and it's this another kind of fantastical vision. And uh, the Ezekiel has been taken by an angel to the corner of the temple. And because it's all desert and death and all the chaos of death all around, just desolation. And then the angel says, take a look at what's coming from the temple. And those of us who know the image know there's a little trickle of water coming from the temple. I won't go full into the image. And you know that Ezekiel, who has been through so much, even lost his own wife in part of this prophecy. She had died. God said, your wife's going to die. And he'd been beaten down and, and judged and just really difficult for him to carry the word of God. Take a look, Ezekiel, at what's coming from there. And he does. What is it? It's water going into this desert. It's just going to disappear, right? But instead of going from the source and getting kind of less and less as it went along, this is a miracle after all. This is as much as people coming out of their tombs. Instead of getting less and less, as it goes on, it gets more and more. Deeper and deeper. And he gets him to go in a little further. First the bottom of his feet, then up to his ankles, then up to his knees, then up to his waist. And soon Ezekiel is floating in this abundant life. And he's saying, there's a river and the banks of the river are just filled with life on either side. This one who done nothing but death. And I picture him floating there and just knowing that in the end, it is all life. But here's something for us from that image. For those of us who gather and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning and then go back out into this world where many people don't share the same faith, that we would reflect that the life gets better, deeper, more as it moves out from the temple. Your faith, your awareness of Jesus Christ will not mostly be here. It will mostly be in those places of great joy or those places of great pain. But as you grow in this faith, that's where you will know that abundant life. And may we, those of us who by God's grace have this faith, may we live in the light of that resurrection. Abundant life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please rise. We're going to sing.